I'll tell you the rest later. <clears throat> All right. Um, you know, I, I told you that we were going to talk about the inauguration, but I, I really, we really not. We're going to talk about tithing. So we're. All, <laughs> I'm glad you all came. Um, <laughs> it was just really a, a way to get you here. Uh, no, no. <laughs> I'm teasing. I, I, I can see people get, grabbing for their purses. <laughs> get out of here, honey. Let's go. <laughs> um, I would invite you, however, to turn with me to First uh, Samuel chapter 11 and chapter 12. And you're thinking, now, now, wait a minute, uh, didn't you say we are going to be discussing the inauguration? I mean, uh, uh, well, yes, we are, um, sort of. Um, well, then why are you having me turn to 1 Samuel 11 and 12? Because ultimately, ladies and gentlemen, uh, every, everything that we face should be viewed through the lens of what we know about what God has said. So, um, uh, uh, the occasion that I, I want to uh, examine with you this evening is the occasion of an inauguration. Um, it is an inauguration of uh, the first king of Israel, whose name was Saul. Now, let me let me give you just a real uh, quick part, uh, just a backstory uh, concerning this. Israel really came into being on the night of the Passover. That's Exodus chapter 12. And you know, on that night, they left Israel, excuse me, Egypt, and they headed off to the promised land. And then, of course, they, they, they didn't do well. And so they spent 40 years wandering around in the wilderness. Okay. The leader at that point um, for Israel during that whole period, of course, is a guy by the name of Moses. Moses dies. And um, uh, Moses' successor was a guy by the name of um, Joshua. Uh, Joshua comes in and leads them into the promised land. Moses doesn't go into the promised land. He, he dies on Mount Nebo, which is in Jordan. Um, but, but Joshua leads them into the promised land. And the first battle, of course, is the battle of, Josh, of uh, Jericho in Joshua chapter 6 and you know, Joshua at the Battle of Jericho, you know, that one. Um, and then, of course, they uh, militarily, they take over that promised, that piece of promised land down there. Um, <clears throat> um, we could talk about that, too. We could talk about um, the Palestinians' uh, claim, uh, legitimate or illegitimate, to that land. Um, I, I would just tell you this. Um, God gave that land to Israel, and, and you might want to consider that when you're establishing your position. Anyway, um, so Joshua dies, and if you know anything about your Old Testament, you've got the first five books of the Bible, which were written by Moses, and, and then at the end of uh, Deuteronomy, Moses is dead, and the next book is Joshua, because Joshua then takes over the leadership of Israel and takes her into the promised land. And then after he dies and the land has been subdued, at least um, generally speaking, they enter into a period of um, really governmental chaos. The next book in the Bible is the, is the book, The Judges. Now, um, when you think of a judge, you think of a guy in a black robe that sits behind a bench. Well, you can't think like that when it comes to the book of Judges. 
um, the book of Judges, or, or a judge, was one who determined um, equity and, and, and morality and, and led Israel. And of course, there was a series of them. I think if, you know, if you've ever studied the book of Judges, um, and if you look at chapter 12, 1 Samuel 12, uh, verse 11, um, it, uh, Samuel is speaking and he says, And the Lord sent Jerubbabel and Barak and Jephthah and Samuel. Those are all judges. I mean, he refers to himself. Uh, uh, Jerubbabel is Gideon, by the way, um, if, in case you didn't know. Um, that's just another name for Gideon. And then Barak, you remember, uh, he teamed up with the woman Deborah, another judge. And then, of course, Jephthah was the one that sacrificed the first thing that came out of his house, which was his daughter. Um, uh, he delivered Israel from the Midianites. And then Samuel, Samuel is mentioned. Samuel is the last of the judges. The way that Israel is being governed is that you have Moses, you have Joshua, you have the judges, the last of which is Samuel. Probably the greatest of all the judges is Samuel. Now, in chapter 8 of 1 Samuel, if you'll, if you'll just turn and look at it, it says right before you even get to verse 1, it says, Israel demands a king. Um, the government has been Moses, Joshua, Judges, and the people are uh, not happy with that. So they want a king. Give us a king. They were under the delusion that, that the troubles that they faced as a nation... Um, was because they had the wrong form of government. That's why we're in such a mess. We got the wrong form of government. So we want a king like the rest of the nations. Give us a king. And if you know anything about this portion of uh, 1 Samuel, uh, Samuel balks. And... Um, says, no, 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 the Lord is your king. And God comes to Samuel and says, leave him alone. Let him have a king. Um, they're not rejecting you, Samuel. They're rejecting me. And so you didn't, then what happens is there's this uh, chapter 2 where the new king is identified. So remember now, the government system is Moses, Joshua, Judges, and now we've got a king. The first king is a guy by the name of Sam, or it's a Saul. Samuel is the one that chooses him, and God comes to him and says, this, uh, tomorrow this guy's going to come over to your house, and he's going to be looking for some donkeys, and you just tell him that he's the king of Israel. Uh, you, you might know the story. You, you read it. I mean, it's in there. His father sent him out to look for some lost donkeys, and uh, he couldn't find them. <clears throat> anyway, they go to the seer, S-E-E-R, the prophet, the judge, the leader, the boss of all Israel. And so Samuel says, you're the king. But then after, I mean, there, it, it was kind of a couple of stops and starts. Uh, they wanted to make him king, and then uh, he hid in the luggage and couldn't find him. And then they had this other little incident where that wasn't so good. And then in um, chapter 11, 1 Samuel 11, uh, Nahash the Ammonite, verse 1, went up and besieged Jabesh-Gilead, and all the men of Jabesh-Gilead said to Nahash, etc. So, 
So Jabesh Gilead, the head of the um, uh, Ammonites, come and says, uh, listen, uh, we're going to fight you guys. And um, uh, they say, oh, don't, don't fight us. And they say, well, listen, here, here, here I'll make a deal with you. Uh, I, won't, I won't kill you all, but I, all I want is I want every man to come out of the city, and I'm going to poke out one of his eyes. This is chapter 11. And uh, they say, okay, we'll give us seven days. We'll just send out to Israel and see if anybody will help us. They send out to Israel, and um, Saul hears about it. The guy that was identified as the king, Saul hears about it. And he gathers an army. This is chapter 11. He takes the army. He, he uh, fights the Ammonites. And he wins. Um, the Ammonites are um, um, destroyed. At that point, the people realize, okay, this guy really is our king. And you ha- which brings us to an inauguration. It's in 1 Samuel chapter 11. Um, well, I'll start reading verse 14, two verses. Then Samuel said to the people, come, let us go to Gilgal and there renew the kingdom. So all the people went to Gilgal, and there they made Saul king before the Lord in Gilgal. Then they sacrificed peace offerings before the Lord, and there Saul and all the men of Israel with Roscarily. There it is, ladies and gentlemen. The inauguration. The inauguration of Israel's first king. Spawned by a group of people who thought that the problem that we really got here is this thing on? Oh, there's a button. Oh, buttons are wonderful things, aren't they? Uh, look at it, it's much different now, now that you hit the button. Uh, is it on? It's on? Ah, uh, here we go. Yeah, okay. Um, you know my love affair with these machines. Um, so Saul is inaugurated as the first king. All brought on because of a people were living under the illusion that the reason that we had so many problems is because we had the wrong form of government. We don't want judges anymore. We want a king. That's what we want. Give us a king. Because that, that, that form of government that we got, that ain't working. We don't like that form of government. Well, a different form of government. So they get Saul. And he's inaugurated as king. 1 Samuel chapter 11, verses 14 to 15. We're about to have one of these here in America. We're about to have an inauguration. Um. And what I want to do, just quickly, is I want to mention a couple of, or a few of the issues, um, not that face Donald Trump, but certainly that face his administration. I I guess there's a distinction between those two. Um, Just some of the problems that, um, that are pressing upon this new administration. You have the um, 
Islamization of Europe. You have the um, homosexualization of, um, we'll just call it the West. Then you have the loss of prestige of the United States. Versus the um, Sino-Soviet threat. Um, Everybody knows that Sino-Soviet, that's the the Chinese and the Russians. Um, And those are just international issues. You've got the um, Islamization of of Europe. You've got the uh, homosexualization of the West, you've got uh, the loss of prestige in the United States among the, uh, on the world stage, and two striving ascendants and trying to push us off the stage. That's not to mention, of course, the, the domestic issues that we have. Um, th- these, are, these are international. But then we have immigration. Um, and the solution, of course, to immigration, as we all know, is to build a wall. <clears throat> um, um, you have health care. That's a big one. I mean, that was all the talking heads talked about today. We're going to repeal and replace the ACA. Um, Oh, and the one that drove many of you to the polls is the Supreme Court and finding um, conservative Supreme Court justices. Now, ladies and gentlemen, please don't misunderstand me. My life works a whole lot better individually when conservative ideals in these areas reign supreme. Um... I, I, uh, I tend to identify with the conservative solutions for these daunting. I mean, and guys, you know that's just a, <laughs> just a small list. We got a big list. <clears throat> um, but but I, I, I hope you know, uh, um, I, 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 I tend to identify with the solutions to these things, which are um, which are which fall under the heading of or rubric of conservatism, conservatism. Now, what I'd like to offer you tonight is a few words of caution. Um. Actually, it's not me who wants to offer you words of caution. It is Samuel. And I hope you got your Bibles open. Because I want to, I want to show you. All right, guys, now remember, we're just coming off, we're just on the heels of an inauguration as described in verses 14 and 15 of chapter 11. 
We move to chapter 12. And Samuel is in essence saying goodbye. You got a king now, you don't need me. I'm gone. So the the first um, five verses, he defends his own um, rule and says, I didn't steal from anybody. And they all say, oh, yeah, you didn't steal from anybody. Nobody, you didn't steal from anybody. We we agree. I was a a just judge. Yeah, you were. Yeah, you were. We're the witness. You did good. Way to go. And then we come to verse 6. Um, and Samuel said to the people. Uh, now, guys, what you get in the, in the verse, first few verses is somewhat of a, a, a review of Israeli history. Um, you notice in, in verse 6, uh, pointed Moses and Aaron brought you your fathers up out of the land of Egypt. Um... um when Jacob went, uh, uh, went into Egypt and the Egyptians oppressed him. I think you know that history. Uh, at least I hope you do. Uh, Jacob was living in, you know, he wasn't living in Egypt, but he was starving because of the famine. So he went down and took all the boys and they multiplied and Egypt didn't like them. And so they oppressed them and God raised up Moses to get them out. Just a quick review of, um, of uh, Israel's history. Having done that, I want you to notice what he has to say to this nation. What is it that Samuel says to the new leader of Israel and to the citizens of Israel? Um, Because that's what you get. You get the message of Samuel for their new leader and his followers. Samuel has a message for America. And all of you followers out there of Donald Trump. Here's what he says. What I want y'all to do is just be conservative. I want you to get rid of all those liberals. Ladies and gentlemen, I have said this before, and I hope you will hear me, and I hope you'll know the profundity about what, what you're about to hear. Jesus Christ is far more liberal than the, you Democrats out there. And he is far more conservative than you Republicans out there. And I say to you, some of you are thinking that if we just get enough conservatism around here, we just had the wrong form of government. That's the reason that we had so many problems. My friends, you are... You're misguided.
Verse 8, he talks about who brought your fathers up out of the land of Egypt, made them dwell in this place. Verse 9. But they forgot the Lord their God. And he sold them into the hands of Sisera. Israel has this glorious history. And yet she has been turned into a spiritual desert. Why? Because they weren't conservative enough? Because they were too liberal? No, ladies and gentlemen. Because, but because as a nation, they forgot the Lord their God. Now you keep reading with me. And he sold them into the hands of Sisera, commander of the army of Hazor, and into the hand of the Philistines, and into the hand of the king of Moab, and they fought against them. And they cried out to the Lord and said, We have sinned because we have forsaken the Lord and have served the Baals and the Asheroth, but now deliver us out of the hand of our enemies that we may serve you. And the Lord sent those, those guys, those are the judges, delivered you, and when you saw that Nahash the king, etc., cetera, etc., cetera, and now, verse 13, and now behold the king whom you have chosen. I love those words, ladies and gentlemen. Look at them. Now, behold the king whom you've chosen, for whom you have asked. Just give us a conservative. Get rid of those liberals and that Barack Obama. Don't let us have Hillary. Just give us a conservative. And everything's going to be fine. Now behold the king that you have chosen and the one that you have asked for. Is that not biting? Behold, the Lord has set a king over you. And here is the message to the new administration. If you will fear the Lord and serve him and obey his voice and not rebel against the commandment of the Lord. And if both you and the king who reigns over you will follow the Lord your God. It will be well. Yesterday, ladies and gentlemen, in the Washington Post, the Washington Post included a, um, an article, an editorial that was written by Michael Horton, who is a professor at Westminster Seminary. Michael Horton, some of his books you've read, I've got probably four of them in my library. He's a very reliable um, scholar, from my reformed camp, I mean, he's just well thought of. And he pointed out who the new administration is going to have surrounding him, representing religion. You know who's going to be there? Her name is Paula White. 
Does anybody know who Paula White is? I'll tell you what, tonight, write her name down. Go look her up. She's been investigated by the IRS. She's on her third marriage. She's shapely. She's blonde. She's buxom. She's a heretic. She says that God sent his son not to save you from your sin, but to make you wealthy. She and her ilk teach that we are as much sons of, we are as much sons of God as Jesus Christ is. Now, I'm not saying we're not sons of God, yeah. But I'm, in, I'm not in the same category as Jesus. And that if you'll pick up your phone and you'll send in $1,144, you're going to get a blessing because John 11.44 says something about a blessing. And that's who's going to be representing us at this inauguration. Um, the article, by the way, if you'd like to see it, can be found. Uh, Justin McCain found it, sent it around to all of us, and I forwarded it to a couple of people. <clears throat> Guys, look at verse 14 again. If you fear the Lord and serve him and obey his voice, and not rebel against his commandments. And if you both, the king and you and the king that reigns over you, will follow the Lord your God, it will be well. What he, what he, what he, what he gives us in verse 14 is the immutable condition for well-being of a nation. Guys, if you can keep your finger there, because I'm going to come back. I would love for you to see this other text. It's now become one of my new favorite texts. It's in Isaiah 48. It's verse 18. Um, and um, anytime I see this word, um, when I'm reading my Bible, anytime I see this word, oh, particularly when it's coming out of the mouth of God. It just sends off a visceral reaction in me because God is groaning. Groaning. And he says, oh, and he's speaking to Israel, oh, that you had paid attention to my commandment. Oh, that you had paid attention to my commandments then your peace would have been like a river. Guys, how many of us are sitting in this room tonight still living with the scars of failing to obey his commandments? If we had just obeyed his commandments, our peace would have been like a river. But we didn't obey his commandments, and we're still dealing with the consequences, the fallout of choosing to sin against him. Samuel turns to the king, the new king and his people, and he says, here is the immutable conditions for the success of an individual or a nation. You fear me, you obey me, you serve me, and you follow me.
But wait a minute. We're going to rebuild our military. I'm all for that. I hope we do. I mean, we're going to um, we're going to roll back corporate uh, income tax. We're going to take it from thirty five percent to fifteen percent, and and as a result, we're going to once again no economic supremacy in all the world. We're going to have full employment. And I may be a voice crying in the wilderness, ladies and gentlemen, but I will say to you, if we fail to heed verse 14, God will blight it all. Do you think the God who created the heavens and the earth is afraid of our expanded military? Do you think that he is impressed with our economic prosperity? Um, you know, guys, um, I worked out today and, and I... I try to stay away from Fox News because they're so slanted to the right. So I go over to CNN and watch them be so slanted to the left. But at least I'm already slanted to the right. So, uh, you know, I can listen to the ones who are slanted to the left and, and uh, you know, at least spot it. But on both networks, if you watch any of it today, the big thing is, can they get 60 votes to get a Supreme Court justice approved? Joe Manchin from, from West Virginia is kind of a moderate Democrat, and yet um, he doesn't seem to be willing to play ball. He's, you have to get 60 votes for Supreme Court, not, not the, not the uh, cabinet seats, but the Supreme Court justices. You've got to get 60 votes. That means you've got to get eight Democrats to vote along with you. And we are oh so worried about whether or not we're going to get 60 votes to get a Supreme Court justice. And I say to you, ladies and gentlemen, the thing that we ought to be worried about is will this president obey God? Because he doesn't give a flip. That is, God doesn't. About our conservatism. Oh, that they would pay attention to my commandments. Well, Jimmy, you sure rained on our parade. We were really happy about the new president. <laughs> I'm not. I'm not because I have about that much confidence in governmental systems from the left or from the right. But here's what we can do, guys. I'm going to leave you with four things. Um, I would exhort you that your confidence... See, my, my big fear is some of you that have been so zealous to support Donald Trump. I don't blame you a bit. I understand it entirely. 
when, when we had a choice that we had, I am sure glad you chose that horse. Um, but I'm afraid that we're all going to be terribly disappointed. We'll see, um, we'll see some short-term good things. And then if this administration ignores God and his word, God will create issues that will make these look small. He will blight this nation. Um, four things. Gang, our hope, our confidence cannot be in Donald Trump. I hope he's converted. There are some who say that he is. I read yesterday that it was Paula White that led him to faith in Christ. If that's so, you can pretty much check that off as zero. I beg you to go look up Paula White. Go ahead. Um, Our confidence is not in the Supreme Court. Our confidence is not in a new program of health coverage. But, but listen to this statement. It is better to take refuge in the Lord than to trust in man. It is better to take refuge in the Lord than to trust in princes. Samuel knew enough about human nature to know that if we continue to rebel at this God, the consequences will be sure. I don't know how immediate, but they will be sure. So we put our confidence, we take refuge in the Lord, secondly. Um, I would encourage you to be more aggressive with the gospel. You know, uh, Muslims are aggressive. The LGBT community is aggressive. Why are we so timid and shy? I would encourage you to be aggressive with the gospel. Um, Another very interesting thing about this passage is that after Samuel gets through speaking to the king and the nation, he says this. um, 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 Verse 23. Uh, Moreover, as for me, far be it from me that I should sin against the Lord by ceasing to pray for you. You know, I I have not been a man who's prayed much for Barack Obama. But I will be a man praying for Donald Trump. And I would encourage you to, um, to me, the two roles of the Christian church is to be aggressive with the gospel and to plead with God to cause the man to see his need for obedience. Um, and finally, 
If you're grateful that we have a new administration, which so many of us are, and that we weren't muzzled for four years with more of that, then the gratitude that you have for the opportunity to recover a lost nation's prosperity, that gratitude is best shown in a renewed devotion to our own obedience. You want to tell God how grateful you are? Good. So do I. Then let's tell him by a renewed commitment on our own parts to live consistently as people who know and love and belong to Jesus Christ. My confidence is in not the princes. More Overt evangelism, prayer, and obedience. I think that pretty much fits quite well with 1 Samuel chapter 13. Our Father, I do pray that you will speak to the the people of God who probably are the ones that can be credited with the result of this presidential election and yet oh god um just getting our way in the supreme court means nothing if this country continues to thumb their noses at you and your law might we as a church might we as an might we as individuals find ourselves more aggressively committed to at least giving voice to the gospel of Jesus Christ. Forgive us that we have sinned by not praying. And then, oh God, as an expression of our gratitude, we want you to know how grateful we are for the, this, this new opportunity to salvage this nation. We will express our gratitude with newfound, new detailed new determination to obey in every way. We love you, Lord God, and we're sorry we love you so little. But what might this and all other situations prompt us to a greater nearness to the God who saved us in Christ Jesus. And we pray, of course, in Jesus' name. Amen.